Good morning, DJ and PK in the morning. I'm Yach, or Jay Cash, the producer, taking you through the 6 a.m. hour here with David James and Patrick Kinahan. A lot to get to. College basketball kind of ruling the day alongside the NBA right now with the NFL essentially on a hiatus with a weekend off. The Pro Bowl, I don't know how many of you will watch that. I'm not sure I will, but that's coming up this weekend, the Super Bowl a week from Sunday. So basketball kind of rules the day, and that's what it's going to rule our morning here on DJ and PK. We're going to kick things off this morning hearing from Craig Smith Utah State gets some payback against Air Force last night he spoke with Scott Gerard on the postgame show last night right here on the Zone Sports Network so here you go Utah State basketball coach Craig Smith on DJ and PK in the morning coach you could tell uh there was I'm sure a little bitterness after Boise you wanted to uh get a little revenge after losing in Clune and this team just came out smoking hot to start the game yeah, we've had a uh, good starts now the last three games, and so that's been good with Nevada, uh, Boise, and certainly tonight. Um, our guys had a great look to them the last two days. Well, we've had a good look to us since, yeah. quite frankly, the Air Force game um, last time, and a uh, little uneven start off. Well, good start offensively, and then a really rough patch where we just couldn't get yeah. anything to go and not much rhythm and flow to the game, and you know, it should have been called more plays. This team is starting to evolve into more of a play team than – the way I really like to play, but it is what it is. So, but at the end of the day, uh, we hang our hat on defense and rebounding. We want to run, we want to score, no doubt. Um, but you got to to win big. You got to be able to guard and to hold this team, who's a very prolific offensive team. And they missed some. They missed some too. Uh, but I thought we made them earn everything. And our free throw defense was excellent tonight. And so uh, it's supposed to be funny, you guys. Yeah, I, know, I, know. I mean, I guess it's not that funny. Yeah, anyway. Great job. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to say anything. Um, but, um, but to hold them to 29% um, was certainly huge. And then we've certainly gotten much more of a flow on the offensive end and shot 50% in the second half and, and just kind of had it, had it all going, right? We were able to make some threes, got to the rim, um, got fouled. And I thought it was everybody. Nimi anchored us early in the game. You know, and he went, what, six for eight from the field, 14 points. Uh, I thought Bean was certainly the best he's been since his injury against UNLV. And I challenged him yesterday, like, Bean, like you, because he was not very good at their place. And, and he know he would be the yeah. first to say that. And it was like, Justin, you have – he goes, Coach, I am good. I'm 100%. I know how to guard these guys. Like he – and I was like, you got to kill him on the boards. He goes, oh, I will. You know what I mean? Like, and, and his stat line was incredible. I mean, 16 points, 13 rebounds. I'm sure you guys have just talked about this. Five on the offensive end and five assists. Yeah. Uh, Led and the team thought, in all categories. Yeah, he, he was dynamite tonight. thought we had a lot of good performance. Sam only fought for 13, but got going in that second half. Um, really guarded well. Brock missed him. I mean, I think he had three of them that were down and out. Mm. Um, I thought Diogo responded in a good way. Seven rebounds, ten points, three assists. And and then Trevin, that last stretch that Trevin had yeah, we was that out. big time. He, he, you know, it's just, uh, I think I've said this before with Trevin, but you guys are scratching your head because uh, it's 11-23. Um, uh, but, Scott, you got a short drive. It's That's not a big good. deal. No worries. Um, uh, and back here tomorrow. Yeah, you know it. So, uh, but Trevin, he's just, he's a work in progress on offense. We know that. But, man, he is starting to impact the game in some different ways, and he is a big, big guy. And he just chases rebounds. Maybe not quite like Bean, but he's he's starting to – and he's got an edge to him, mm-hmm. you know. So 
good response for our guy. At yeah. the end of the day, it was a great response, and I know you got more questions, but I do want to read one quote. And we did a lot of different things with our guys, which we have been for two weeks. Um, well, all year, but especially the last two weeks. But, you know, obviously it was Martin Luther King Day on Monday, and um, I haven't been on social media a whole lot lately <laughs> for, for a multitude of reasons. But the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And certainly we've had our fair share of that in 2020. But I just am so proud of our guys and how we came to practice on Sunday, ready to roll, uh, like a bunch of professionals, ready to get better. We got to get this done, and 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 we didn't do a lot of live stuff uh, Sunday. And yesterday we had a big time practice, and our guys were like piranhas guarding that um, Princeton stuff, and they craved it. They wanted to guard that, and our scout team gave us a fantastic look, which is hard to do. And um, so we had a pretty good vibe, and we just had a big time competitive spirit tonight. I want to thank all the fans for coming out tonight a nine o'clock start isn't exactly ideal when you have children for anybody yeah you gotta work the next day you got children and it's hard and i know it's very difficult and so all you fans that showed up after a very difficult loss i i can't thank you enough for supporting our guys gotta imagine too you run out after a game like that and you hear you see the student section doing their thing and that's got to be a big boost like you know what yeah they got our back they got our back. Yeah, man, that's the it's the beauty of Utah State. Like our our we have tremendous fans and we know it's it's you know, we know what happens when you have a couple tough losses and like I I get it. Um, but you know, we have such amazing fans here and supportive and and um, uh, it's pretty cool when you walk around and hearing some of the comments when you're going around it's like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That doesn't happen everywhere. Get this, uh, you get this win tonight, uh, and it sets up a big one against Colorado State. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun last year with Nimi and uh, Nico going toe to toe. And I got to imagine he's probably chomping it a bit for another opportunity there. Both are great, great players, um, phenomenal big men. Uh, both kind of dealing with the same thing. Nimi's coming back from a difficult knee, and he's starting to kind of, he's. You can see him kind of. Starting to get in a little bit of a rhythm, and the speed of the game is slowing down, and he's getting more comfortable. And Carvacho had a shoulder, mm-hmm. labrum shoulder surgery, surgery. And, and so he missed all summer, right? Yeah. So it, when you miss a whole summer and you're slow, to, like it takes a little while to – so they're a good team, man. Like they're – I mean, San Diego State obviously is whatever they're ranked in the country, but I think uh, Colorado State, I believe, has won four in a row. They play Fresno at home tomorrow. Um, they're schematically and stuff. They're pretty similar, but they're they're good. They got very good young players. Their guards are Jets. They have a freshman Isaiah Stevens, who is a that dude could play about anywhere. And they have another freshman David Roddy, who looks like a like he's just a physical specimen. They got a lot of pieces. They're good. There was a moment in the first half. Kata Dofer loose ball kept a possession alive over here, and it just felt like that may not have been something that would have happened earlier in the season. Where it kind of feels like he's feeling a little bit more comfortable in his skin and 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 with his body, and and he contested a little bit. Yeah, that was probably the first time we've seen him do that since. Yeah. The, I mean, he's fallen a few times, and you know, he, sometimes he when he falls, he's like a baby giraffe anyway. <laughs> but he kind of fumbled it, lost it, and he went right down yep. to get it. And and that's you know, it's the Gator mentality and. I think that tells you he's starting to get comfortable and, you know, he knows that our team needs him um, to be a player and, 
And so um, it's exciting to see. He got, I don't know the exact details, but he got sick. I don't think it's anything major. But you know, he checked out at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. And then I was just going to rest him for about a minute yeah. and a half. And I was going to use our use it or lose it timeout just to get him back in the game. Yeah. Well, I go to, I'm like, where's he ran up the tunnel. Yeah, he went up the tunnel. <laughs> and they're like, coach, he's not feeling good. He needs to get some food. And I'm like, I'm not sure what that means. Like, if you're not, so it's obviously like not a flu or a stomach thing, but he yeah. must, I don't know if just like, I've never, I've never, I've never heard of a snack break in between. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like, hey, man. Like, I, I guess that, uh, I've never heard of that, but maybe we do that in uh, in uh, Portugal. There you go. Yeah. Hey, well, Coach, uh, I'm not going to bug you too much because you're going to see my ugly mug tomorrow So, uh, for the Coach's Show at 6 o'clock at Old Chicago. So thanks for coming by. Appreciate right. it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Right. Go Aggies. There you go. Craig Smith, Utah State basketball coach. The Aggies get back into the win column. We'll see if they're able to climb back into NCAA tournament uh conversations uh they've struggled early on in conference play so far about halfway through they need to really start picking up some wins here if they want to have any hope of making a repeat visit to march madness but coming up next you're going to hear from both the other basketball coaches in this state well two of the other basketball coaches in this state speaking of larry kriskoviak as well as mark pope from utah and byu respectively we'll get to that next right here on the zone sports network Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's DJ and PK in the morning. I'm Jay Catch, the producer of the show, taking you through the 6 a.m. hour here with David James and Patrick Kinahan. A lot to get to. College basketball ruling the day this morning. We'll be ta- catching up with Larry Kriskoviak and Mark Pope here in just a second. We'll start off on the Utah side of things. The Utes coming off a disappointing loss at Arizona State, suffering the Arizona sweep as, the, as they lost to Arizona State as well as Arizona last week. They're back home this week as they host the Washington schools. University of Washington coming in on Thursday and Washington State on Saturday. Utah really needs to get off the mat here and figure some things out. Larry Kriskoviak spoke to the media yesterday. Here's his conversation talking about the upcoming games against Washington and his takeaways from the losses at Arizona and Arizona State. And you also hear him address his being reprimanded for his ejection and comments about officiating in the Arizona State game. Larry, just um, with Washington coming in here, I'm just curious your early thoughts on um, Isaiah Stewart, just you know the player that he's been for them and um, – and just what he brings to the table and the challenge that you know he brings to your team. Yeah, I know he's a stud. He's uh, you know certainly one of the the best bigs in our conference. Uh, I was watching the Oregon game on TV a little bit Saturday afternoon, and and we saw Oregon in our building to know that they're uh, you know they're not slight in stature, and he was kind of he made a few of those guys look small. So. Um, He's a uh, he's an absolute beast, and we've got to have a few different plans and fight and scrap and do do our best to keep the ball out of there. He's a, he's an elite shot blocker as well on the defensive end, and um, you know I think when you think about Washington, it's that it's that zone that they play that they lead our conference in field goal percentage defense, both from two and from three, and they make things difficult for you. So we've got to we've got to be dialed in with that. But I think uh, you know Stewart's certainly the head of head of their snake. 
We talked about this earlier this year about the Pac-12 being improved and pretty tough from top to bottom. And Washington, for example, has lost more games than they've lost all of last year in league, yet they're still a pretty good team. Can you just have me talk about the overall strength of the conference and how hard it is? Yeah, no, that's a good point, Mikey. I just watched the Stanford game and the Oregon game, and they were, um, you know, had double-digit leads fairly late in those games in both of them and lost them. So it's a fine line. You know, I think about that example there. Uh, Stanford's playing really well. I think there's four teams in the top 20 when it comes to the net rankings, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good players, a lot of different styles, I think, uh, of teams. This being an example of a, a defensive team that's, you know, completely a zone defense uh, and an elite rebounding team. But top to bottom, um, Washington State got a couple great wins last weekend. There's been some incredible comebacks where you have you know, Stanford up uh, against USC by 20 at halftime and ends up losing in overtime. So the, the message that we have right now, instead of maybe being confused and cloudy with anything, is it's it's really about the next point and it's about the next game and you got to stay in some of these games with some of those comebacks that are taking place and if you have a lead it's about the next point you know i think there's been enough um, crazy finishes you know, and you go back in those close games, say which which one of those plays or which two of those plays would we like to have back? There's just not an opportunity to put your guard down at any point. We've got to find that edge a little bit, um, you know, to us. And it's not the first time we've lost four league games uh, in a row. And so uh, I'm confident we can bounce back with the right mindset and, uh, you know, a few good days of practice and, and getting back to playing Utah basketball, which I think is, is playing harder than we have played over the course of the last couple weeks and, and certainly playing uh, much more together and relying on each other and trusting each other. In planning for Stewart, when you have um, a bit of a smaller lineup out there where you have Riley sliding to the five and Mickey at the four, do you like that look where it's a little smaller, but it's maybe a little more athletic, a little more versatile on defense? Well, I, you know, there's matchups and games. I can't say I like it. Um, you know, there's times that it makes the most sense for us, and production-wise, that's been one of our more efficient lineups, both offensively and def defensively, when you look at numbers on a possession basis. So, uh, you know, I think the quandary with that lineup is making sure you can rebound, and with Washington's elite rebounding ability, that puts some pressure on you. So I like it a lot if we can rebound. You know, you don't like it very much if if you can't. I thought that happened against Oregon in the game that uh, that – you know, we lost here at our place. We went small and we couldn't get defensive rebounds and then you don't like it very much. So I do like some versatility with our lineup, but we've just, um, you know, I, I'm putting some onus on individual guys to step up. Let's make some plays and we'll sort out which five need to be out there and what maybe makes the most sense at, at that time. Um, this Washington team started the season as, as kind of one thing with Quad A Green. Now, you know, he's he's out, and they seem to have kind of circled the wagons here without Quad A Green pretty quickly. Would you agree with that, that they've kind of gotten themselves together despite him being out? Well, you know, Mike's uh, Hopkins, uh, you know, he's a great coach. He's a great guy. I know he'll get them together, and, you know, things happen, whether they're academic issues, injury issues, and, you know, I, my sense is from watching them that their culture is really strong and they believe in each other and they're going to put five guys on the floor and play to their strengths and you know maybe took a little bit of an adjustment you know that's kind of a 
you know, a, a body blow when you're trying to sort that out. But there's no question in the games that I've watched as of late that uh, that they, you know, they found a new identity maybe without that facet and uh, and are playing good basketball. You know, the last five games or so, Timmy struggled with his scoring and shooting. I just wonder if that's mostly a case of the opponents kind of figuring him his game out and able to shut him down with double teams and so forth. And then also just talk about how much pressure that puts on the rest of your team when your leading scorer is, is not scoring. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, I think it's important that we, uh, again, we get back to – you know what got us to this point and we played through the preseason uh what were we nine and three in the preseason and timmy led us in scoring but there wasn't a lot of thought about him leading us in scoring you know it kind of happened organically and uh you know percentage wise there was an awful lot of scoring around the rim uh, there was a high free throw volume he was doing a nice job and then uh when you look at his potential assists not always just assists but when he makes the play to somebody uh, over the course of the year when he makes a pass to somebody we score 50 percent of the we score 50 percent of the time our, our field goal average is 50 percent and that includes threes and so that would rank us fifth in the country and you know i think it's important to kind of get back to to where we started this thing it's not about uh x number of touches or calling anybody's play is trusting each other and you know i saw it in the arizona state game i saw uh timmy made three really good passes early in the game and we missed those shots uh, riley missed a three uh, alfonso missed a three and uh, jackson brinchley missed a three they're still the right play to make and uh, it's important for us that we keep playing the right way uh chris jones has kind of introduced uh something to our pro he said it to me and rylan and we talk about it is you make the game that you make the play that the game presents and um you hear the Lakers talking about no force offense and I think it's important that we get back to that and understand that Timmy's one of the guys that can get a lot of guys shots and uh, and that's important and I think you know through some discussions and some film that's um, something that we focused on right now and the other guys need to step up and make plays we need to do it collectively <clears throat> we have some kind of jingle bells tune here it's your phone oh Mike that's a fine that's a soft little tune too. How does that get your attention? Like a lullaby. That's a lullaby. Um, it's been a while since you guys have played a home game. Uh, do you get the sense that the kids are looking forward to playing at home in front of your fans? Well, I, well, I am. You know, that's why you kind of sign up for this. Uh, you know, it's it's always good to to be in your own environment and comfortable and fans I think we have a great fan base and it's it's important to come out but there's nothing magical about showing up to the Huntsman Center in this conference and you know the game I've watched some some games throughout the league that you've got to make your own energy and you've got to make some plays uh, but it certainly is going to be a heck of a lot better than going to Colorado or going to Arizona I know that or even the Arizona State game where it's you know it's a uh it's a road environment it's an uncomfortable environment and you've got to be significantly better to overcome some of the mistakes and the plays and the different things and um you know i think from a mental point of view anybody would rather play at home 
Alfonso has gotten a longer look these last two games. What is he maybe doing now that he wasn't doing previously that you're more comfortable putting him out there for an extended period of time? Well, I mean, he's he's uh, he stretches the floor. He does a nice job when he takes open shots. You know, I'll put my money on him to, to knock him down. I think he's figuring out some defensive concepts. I have come to the realization that he's a better game player than he is a practice player. And, you know, sometimes uh, trust and different things like that and gaining a positivity about a player, you need to earn some of that in a practice. But I love the way that he stayed in the fight in some games that he hasn't played in. He's very much stayed on board with everything we're doing. Uh, he's a good teammate, and he wants to do the right thing. And so when I see him standing up for a lot of those things that are positive, and, um, and you know, we haven't been knocking down shots, need to get our backcourt firing on more cylinders, and he stepped up and hit uh, big buckets in both of those games at Arizona. So I've, I've um, you know, garnered some faith in him, and, and he keeps grinding. <clears throat> you know, in the NBA, they'll, after games, officials will talk about maybe bad calls and stuff, and not to get a big controversy here, but just I just wonder if, the, if there's any any uh, feedback on you weren't happy with that call on Van Coleman, and if maybe they if the, the league could explain it to you, or if you could talk about it, or if it's just n- nothing ever happens on it. Well, no, I uh, you know I think I think it's coming out here in a, in a little while. Right, that I've been reprimanded by our conference for negative comments after the game. I made the game's full of mistakes. You know, we don't we don't need to have us walk out of here in an hour and then you read something. So just based on the timing of that meeting, uh, the mistake I made was talking negatively about officiating after the game, and that's a mistake. And and I'm ready to move on. Um, you know, I I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. I just I've said it before, Mike, that the game is full of mistakes. Players make them, refs make them, coaches make them. Uh, I was trying to stand up for one of our players in a situation that I, I thought could have been let go, but that's a decision that they make, and and we'll move on. Lesson learned. Goofed up on a call like you know, NBA does that. I don't guess the Pac-12 doesn't ever happen. Nah, not 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 that I'm aware of. No. There you go, Larry Kriskoviak, Utah basketball coach. Now let's switch gears and head down to Provo. BYU getting ready for back-to-back road games this week at Pacific and at San Francisco on Saturday. Cougars, surprisingly enough, despite all the conversation about them being an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament, the bracketology projecting them as such right now. They've only won one true road game this year, and that was a thrilling win at Houston earlier on in non-conference play. Cougars looking to kind of maintain uh, their presence. Not sure when Yoli Childs will ultimately be back. Mark Pope addressed Yoli's child status right off the bat here. He also gets to some of his thoughts on the upcoming back-to-back road games. So here you go, Mark Pope speaking with the media yesterday at BYU basketball practice. Any update on Yoli's situation right now? Yes, yes. I, uh, I was, was, what was I doing yesterday? I was 100% sure that we're 100% not sure. But I got some airplay on that, so I'm sticking to it. Uh, yeah, he practiced today. He, there was a little bit of contact today, so and he seemed like he was functioning pretty good. I don't know that he got smacked on it. Uh, you know, he's he's a little bit rusty, as you would imagine, and so um, I'm hopeful that it's coming soon, right? Hopefully this weekend. We'll see. We'll just see. But it's going to really be on. You know, if he's able to catch a contested ball and finish finish at the rim, and you know, I have that fear of. Of course, I think everyone has that fear, but uh, I need this dude to be able to 
you know, it, he makes our team better. He makes us deeper. And so we just got to make sure that he comes back when it's right and so that we can actually finish this season and not have a setback here. Kept Zach out of practice today. Um, Zach is, uh, he has been a disciplinary issue since the first day I got here. It's just nonstop with this kid, man. He's just a mess. Is, is that coming? Is Kyle still out there? No. Uh, z- oh, yeah. So you can clean that up. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy that one. Yeah. No, Zach, Zach's just not – he hasn't been feeling very well the last couple of days. So, uh, But he, I think he's feeling better today, and I think he'll be ready to go tomorrow. When you evaluate the way your team is playing, aside from the W, what numbers do you look at and evaluate for the next game to try to improve well, I mean, there's there's nothing super complicated. I mean, it's a lot of numbers that you guys are looking at just from the stat sheet, right? Like, we can't beat by, get beat by 16 on the glass and get beat by 13 on the free throw line and, 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 like, the list goes on. We can't give up six, three transition baskets in 52 seconds. We can't do that. And um, those things we can't do. Uh, you know, we, we uh, have done the last couple, uh, actually since conference began, we've uh, offensively, we've always been big on assist opportunities now. We're doing dribbles per possession, uh, which was a really telling number for us, especially um, recently. That's an issue for us that we can fix, and it's what the numbers are telling us. And um, so, you know, we're—I mean, we're evaluating everything that you guys are, right? Just trying to figure out how we can get better. But in, in, you're talking about numbers of dribbles per possession in terms of moving the ball better. Yeah, so it's interesting because uh, – and it, it varies for individual, actually, when you track it. And so, um, you know, we have uh, – you know, we did a study on one player that zero, one, and two dribbles against Gonzaga and zero and one dribbles, uh, they're almost like a 1.75 points per possession. And then from three to five dribbles, it drops down to like a 0.2 points per possession. And then six plus, it actually goes up to a 0.905 points per possession. That's just one player, right? And so – and that player happens to be one of the top isolation players in America. They have been like a one five eight. I think they dropped to a one four four, right? So um, trying to like take all that input in and figure out how it can fit in with the rest of the team, how it can fit in with the flow of the offense, how it can fit in with how those numbers work, like team conceptually, is a job that's for someone way smarter than me. But those are all things we're taking into account and trying to learn from and trying to understand. Um, you know, I think we have the we're, we're somewhere 15, 16 most, most efficient offense in America, and and so the it's a it's a law of diminishing returns, right? As in everything, like for us to go from 16 to five is going to take, you know, way longer than it might have taken us to get from 150 to 50. Right, and so we're getting into the nitty gritty of the details, um, trying to grow uh, on both sides of the ball. But you know, when the, when a team is 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 functioning as proficiently as this one is, you have to really get into the weeds to try and help them get better. Was this Yoli's first practice back since? Yeah, this is the first time he's had any contact. It, it, was, it was nice to see him out there running around a little bit. I think it was good for everybody and. You know, clearly Yoli's such a talented player, and clearly we all want him back, and clearly he makes a huge impact on the game. And just the fact of having another body out there is so important too, right? Even if he wasn't, you know, one of the top players in, in college basketball, it still would be great just to have another functioning body. So we get a double double bonus with him just even being on the practice court for a few drills.
This is uh, this is the most success that Damon has had with this group thus far to this point. What do you see from him and what he's done with the program? Oh man, I'd love to take shots at Damon right now. I love him. He's one of my favorite guys in basketball. We kind of came up through through the ranks together, like as players, and then uh, and then. Um, as coaches too, he's made a lot more money uh, in his playing career than I did. He scored a lot more points, that's for sure. Um, he is uh, what he's done this year is amazing. You know, last year his team was actually pretty good. They were just so beset by injuries; it was really brutal. And um, he's got his team playing really hard. They're winning every 50-50 ball. I, I don't have his numbers on 50-50 balls for his for his team, but but you know when you look at the film, you're like they win every single one, and they're just tough and. Uh, this number zero kind of leads them in terms of demeanor and intensity and physicality. He's such a special player, and and uh, I, I think the team has taken on Damon and hit and, and Trips, uh, you know, kind of demeanor, and is serving them really, really well right now. I mean, they're winning games. They're, they're really impressive, and they're a good team. And it's always hard to play there, even when they have bad teams. It's hard to play uh, in that gym. Um, I keep thinking that, like, I'm going to get in big trouble for this, but I keep almost wanting to bring, like, some flashlights in there, you know, just so we can see a little bit better. Um, but uh, they're good, man. They're really good. You know, they're, they're a good team. Coach, you said that it would be huge to have Yoli back because of his presence and so on and so forth, yeah. but how is his – mindset been through this whole injury and sitting out and how how has he been doing and yeah. how's he been coming to you going put me in put me in what's what's that dynamic yeah, yeah he's pretty mad at me i think yeah. so but he um he's just a stud he's just a he's a really incredible human being and um he is. He's just stayed focused on trying to help his team get better and find ways that he can get better, even when he's not playing. And, and uh, of course, super anxious to get back out on the floor and be able to compete and, and perform. And I think today was probably pretty therapeutic for him just to actually be able to be engaged in some of the drills. And, and uh, you know, he was 100% convinced that he he could have played uh, the day after. You know, literally with his. With his bones sticking out of his finger, he was like, I can go. Let's go. So give me some duct tape. Uh, so he is uh, he's just an extraordinary human being. He would be a great hockey player because, you know, these hockey guys, they're, you know, they get popped in the head and their eyeball flo- f- flies out on the ice and they just stick it back in and go play. And he's exactly built that way. But, um, you know, it's our job to make sure that he stays safe and he- as healthy as we can get him. Coach, we've talked a lot about Kobe Wheat, his development this year. I wanted to ask you, you talked about Chris Burgess working with him, but a guy like Richard Harward, who you had at UVU, he's redshirting this year. Has he been helpful in that regard, helping develop Kobe working with him? Yeah, he's been he's been crucial. Uh, see, in fact, I just I have a it was a great picture somewhere on social media, so I told the staff to grab it. So I got a big eight by ten in my room that both guys have signed today. Um, of of Rich on the sideline, kind of putting his arm around Kobe, and the thing is, is Rich beats the living daylight out of him every single day in practice. Like physically, just beats him to a pulp because Rich is like a he's like. The Hulk, man, he just is. He just is. He feels nothing. Like he just would run right through this wall, and would be like, "Did I just run through the wall?" And um, 
and and he has been he has been merciless on Kobe, and I really do believe this. I think it, you know you have to ask Kobe, but I'm pretty sure Kobe like man, I look forward to the games because it's just not as hard. Practice is so hard, uh, just the physical beating he takes in practice, and and that's been incredible. And while Rich does it, like Rich knocks him over and steps steps on his throat and then picks him up, is like great job, man. You're getting better. This is awesome, and. Uh, and and so he, Rich has been so incredible. Um, w- what a great teammate he's been in terms of helping him grow. Um, and and th- this this Rich Harbor is really special. And those two get to spend the next you know two and a half years together, and the next two years after this one playing together. And that's going to be really fun because they've developed a a really beautiful bond where they. Uh, it's like brothers, man. They can they can yell each other, scream each other, and punk each other, and then and then walk out off the court with you know arms around each other and just cheering for each other. I think they both know that they that they're really cheering for each other. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Ever since BYU joined the WCC, it seems like it's been Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU in the top three. Has Pacific, I guess, have you seen them turn around the program enough to be able to break into that? I hope not. I hope not. We'll see. They're really good right now, and they're beating teams right now. You know, this this team is deep. Santa Clara is is, is, is in the middle of a great season, and San Francisco is in the middle of a great season. They lost their first two league games, but if you take out those two games, the games after and all the games before, they've been unbelievable, right? And so you kind of have that group that's poised in there right now where the middle of the league is really thick. In fact, you probably throw BYU and St. Mary's into the middle of the league right now. I mean, I think it's a five-way tie for second, right? And all those teams are involved. So the the Zags have maybe, you know, separated themselves a little bit right now. And and, uh, and then there's this mob of us behind them trying to fight out for who's going to get a shot at catching them. And um, so certainly Pacific is in that mix squarely. They're really good. Anything else? What is it about TJ where you mentioned Colby and Rich kind of going after each other and keep coming back? TJ kind of does that game after game, and he's about to do so in a pretty remarkable Iron Man streak. Yeah. What is it about his game where he just takes a shot and just keeps bouncing back after 30, 35, 40 minutes? Um, you know, he's, he's – uh, I think it, may, it must be some of his – you know, I'm going to credit this Hawes DNA, right? I'm telling you, I, I'm really – like Marty and Tiffany Hawes must be extraordinary people because their boys are incredible. And uh, I got a chance to coach Tyler Hawes when he was here, and he just, he was, he just refused to be denied, and he worked harder than maybe any player I've ever been around in my life. And uh, TJ's way different than Ty, but in terms of that kind of insides, it's pretty remarkable. And you think about doing anything more and better and longer than anybody in the history of BYU has done it, and that's really hard to do because there's been, I mean, there's, there's a museum of great players here, and the fact that TJ is, is uh, you know, trying to peek through that door is pretty special. How does a full weekend of road conference games maybe change the routines for, for you and the guys? Um, well, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm as concerned about being on the road as I'm, we're playing two great teams, right? It's, it's, it's a big-time road trip. This is awesome, right? This is going to be really hard. We'll see how many of us actually make it back home. Um, but it is, you know, it's we've been, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've it's, it's nothing new for us. We've been... 
you know, we, we've been on the road and played games not in the league yet, uh, two, uh, two, two games in a row, but, you know, we, we're familiar with being on the road and playing multiple games. And these guys love each other, and, and they actually do a remarkable job of staying out of trouble, probably better than their staff does. So, um, so you know, we're, we're, we're a good road team. We'll, we'll perform well. What type of impact do you think this weekend can have potentially on tournament resume and, th- and things like that? Well, you know, we have a chance to, to, to play two really good teams that are, I'm assuming they're top 100. I don't know if Pacific's jumped in the top 100. They should be. They're that good. Yeah. And I think San Francisco or San Francisco is still in the top 100. Top 100, Ken Paul. Yeah. So um, they're two really good teams, and they're probably better than what they're ranked right now. They're probably playing better than what they're ranked. So, uh, you know. This this thing is every single game is so important, right? And this weekend is is huge, and then next weekend is huger, and the weekend after that is even what do you say? It's not hugest because the weekend after that's going to be huger. But whatever you English speaking people can find the right word for that. There you go, Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach, speaking with the media yesterday. Coming up next, we're going to talk Utah Jazz. Switch gears, talk catch up with Ben Anderson. Covers the Utah Jazz for KSLSports.com. Also pre-half and post analyst right here on the Zone Sports Network on the Utah Jazz Game Broadcast. We'll get to that next on the Zone Sports Network. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it is time to talk jazz basketball with Ben Anderson. You hear him on the jazz radio broadcasts? Pre-game, halftime, and post-game. He joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A. For $99.99, visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. Ben, 12-1, and 17-2. 18-4 since Joe Ingles went into the starting lineup to stay. Is there anything to worry about the Jazz right now, or should Jazz fans just sit back and let the good times roll? Yeah, I think they're going to keep seeing, I mean, maybe not 30-point victories over playoff teams, but they're just going to see a lot of wins. There's just not a lot of teams right now that are clicking the same way the Jazz are. And, yeah, I say kick your feet up and try and enjoy the next 40 games as you get ready for the playoffs and then hope they can make a magical run on top of it. But this is by far the best regular season basketball I've seen the Jazz play in a very long time. Yeah, no question about that, Ben. Handicap us, handicap for us the competition that they will face in the postseason. What do you think? Uh, it, it, I mean, they could get up to the two seed, and then, of course, you're, you know, it, it depends on, on some of the rest of the seeding and which side of the bracket you end up on. But, I mean, the first round, if the Jazz are playing like this, might be relatively easy. You know, if the Jazz are playing at this level, and I know they lost to the Thunder in uh, early December and it didn't look great, but if you play the Thunder and you're playing this well, that I just don't think they have the upside. I don't think the, the uh, Oklahoma City has the ability to play at the level the Jazz are playing at right now, even when they get into the playoffs and slow the game down. So you might be able to get a, a relatively easy first-round victory, and I know that's putting the cart before the horse, but 
know, then you're hoping for some favorable matchups. You're hoping that you end up on the side of the bracket that has Denver and has Dallas, and, and you can avoid L.A., probably Houston, and I should say both L.A. teams on, on the other side of the bracket. And I mean, I think that's, that's the Jazz' best path to coming out of the West, but th- that happens. You know, uh, Portland almost did it last year, and they ran into the Warriors, and that was a buzzsaw, but there isn't a Warriors team this year unless you're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. And even then, if the Jazz were to get into that conversation, that means they made the finals, and the Jazz have matched up well with the Bucks this year. So when I look at some of the other teams that might the Jazz might see in the first round, I know and uh, and Yach has expressed this on multiple occasions. Uh, I don't want to see Houston. I got hardened PTSD. But the Jazz problem with the Rockets was they could get open shots and they couldn't make them. It was so frustrating. And this team is built so differently than the team the teams that lost to the Rockets. Why uh, why worry about that? Yeah, I mean the only reason would be James Harden. But if you have PTSD about James Harden, Russell Westbrook should have PTSD about the Utah Jazz because of what they were able to do to him in that first-round series a couple of years ago where they escaped. And, and the Jazz would take advantage of that again. I mean, Russ is not a good playoff player. He's never been a particularly great playoff player. I know they made one run to the finals, but he's had a lot of first-round exits. He's, he's lost a lot of upset series. Uh, certainly their loss with Paul George last year to the, the Portland Trailblazers was – uh, another reflection of some of the issues he has in the postseason when every possession matters, and he just he plays a little loose, he plays a little wild, and and it's not quite playoff basketball. So that's your pathway to beating them. And and I mean the, the Jazz are better than the Houston Rockets this year. I mean in record, in every statistical category, net rating, whatever you want to look at, the Jazz really are a better team than the Houston Rockets, assuming they can't just flip a switch and and turn into a team that can make the finals. But you know, they didn't make the finals last year when they were playing the Warriors, who they were designed to beat, and then the Warriors lost Kevin Durant, who was their best player. The Rockets still couldn't get past them, and they made these changes, and the changes don't seem to be working. How long do you keep Conley coming off the bench? I mean, I bet you see it two more games, and then I think the Jazz will start trying to work him back because there's probably no reason to do it against the Warriors unless you want to say, hey, that's not a very good basketball team, and let's see if he can play 30 in that sense and, and feel comfortable, but after the game last night, Mike said that he, he was so comfortable that he had been wanting to come back and the Jazz hadn't been letting him come back. And I, and I believe that. I, I'm sure five games ago he probably felt like he would be ready to go or before that road trip he traveled on, he'd be ready to go. But the Jazz held him out. And, and there's no reason with how well the team's playing right now to push anything, I don't think. So let that hamstring continue to come back. Let him get his wind back. Make sure he's not forcing anything else. Uh, and, and give him a few more games before he gets cranked up to 30 minutes. You know, I, I don't think they, they can sustain winning 12 out of 13. And as long as they're doing this, why not just stay with the lineup that's crushing it? There's got to be a rocky spot out there somewhere. I mean, the Lakers are the best record in the West, and they lost four games in a row. So I, I was wondering about just keeping it the way it is until there's a rocky spot and then making the move now, then, making the move then as part of getting back on track. I do think one of the advantages Quinn Snyder's working with right now is everybody seems satisfied. Now, I wouldn't say everyone's happy. I'm sure Emmanuel Moutier is mad that he's losing his minutes, and that's not inside information. Just people want to play. Guys want to be on the floor, and it's frustrating when you've been playing and having the best season of your career like Emmanuel Moutier has and then finding yourself out of the rotation because Mike Conley's rehabbing. So I'm sure not everyone's thrilled with the current rotation, but everyone likes winning, and certainly everyone likes winning the way the Jazz are right now. And if you you heard the postgame comments, they're 
goofing around in the locker room and everyone's having fun and Donovan Mitchell and, and uh, Royce O'Neal did their post-game interview together. I, I do think there's a sense of camaraderie in this group right now because they're playing so well that probably would allow Quinn to push that a little bit more than you could in most locker rooms at this point. Is Bradley good enough as a backup or do they need to make a move? He's been playing so confident lately that it's kind of interesting. And he's a funny guy. He's very shy. He's very modest. And it would make sense that he just wants to you know, reward the Jazz for picking him and wants to do everything right and thinks the game really hard and made it more difficult on himself. And then as he has kind of just said, hey, I'm big. I'm pretty physically gifted. I mean, I'm not, he's not a freak athlete, but he's got really good hands. He rolls pretty well to the rim. He can run the floor. He's not a great, you know, he's not a great rim to rim guy, but he, he can absolutely kind of stay in his lane and, and run a few pick and rolls and set some screens and roll the hoop from there. If he can do that, he can probably continue to improve and hopefully over the next 40 games get the experience where he's not going to cost you a playoff series. But that's a gamble. Uh, and it's a gamble at a spot where you could probably find a reserve who you trust come the playoff time. And, and I think that's going to be one of the interesting conversations for the Jazz over the next two and a half weeks now is just do you trust Tony Bradley enough to keep him in that spot? And then do you trust that if, if you had to go to Ed Davis, you could play him? Or do you find somebody to back up Tony Bradley, worst case scenario, and you, you're, you're okay with him being your number two guy? Jazz are going to play Dallas. I'm overlooking the Warrior game. The Jazz are going to play Dallas on Saturday. What is the we had, we get to see Doncic here? What is the key to beating them? What do the Jazz have to do? I mean, I think you've seen some of what the Jazz approach has been in some of these games that have stars. And I, I mean, I'm sure Quinn Snyder is not saying, "All right, let's play you know Matador defense against Brandon Ingram and Kyrie Irving, and, and that'll be good enough for us." Let's stop everyone else. You still want to stop their best players, and you game plan for them, but. You know, against the Nets, Kyrie Irving was great and, and had 30 points and nobody else did anything. And then uh, Brandon Ingram had 49 points. And while there were some other good players on the floor, certainly the Jazz put themselves in a spot to win that game because you didn't see enormous performances from other players. And I know they were shorthanded, but the, the Nets did. Nobody else other than Kyrie was able to do anything. So th- there may be some sense that Luke is going to get his triple-double. He's going to get 28 points, and he's one of the best young players in the league. But if you can keep... Uh, Seth Curry from going off, if you can keep DeLon Wright from having 15 points out of nowhere, if you can slow down the other guys, and that, that's going to be the Mavericks I think I'm doing in the playoffs right now with a lot of young guys who've never had a lot of playoff success, even as good as Luka Doncic is, I think that will be the approach. And, and the Jazz should be well-equipped for that. They don't necessarily have a defender who's going to be wonderful in front of Luka Doncic. I mean, I'm sure Royce draws that uh, draws that role again, and maybe that's actually why you keep Mike Conley coming off the bench for two more games just so you can favor that matchup for 35 minutes. But uh, otherwise, I don't think they have the pieces around Luka Doncic to win games against the best teams in the NBA unless he goes berserk. And I think it's going to keep him from winning a playoff series. Explain what you were saying about how it's a good signing of O'Neal in the short term, but in a couple years you're going to need him to be way better because of how it fits in financially with what's due for Gobert and Mitchell. Yeah, it's kind of funny. The way we look at salaries in the NBA, we probably look at them a little bit wrong, where we look at the raw number and we say, oh, you could never pay this guy $10 million because, you know, I grew up and Michael Jordan made $8 million. So we just kind of get trapped in that, that thinking when really we need to look at Royce O'Neal and say, well, he makes probably 8% of the salary cap. And 
for a guy who plays, you know, 12% of your total game minutes, and it's actually pretty good, th- that number adds up. He, he gets paid a smaller percentage than the percentage of minutes he plays. That, that's a good value if you're a basketball team. So right now, that's awesome. And, and it's still, I think, going to be a good deal in four years when apparently there's some options attached to it, but I would imagine as long as he's playing okay, the Jazz would pick it up. But it gets different right now where you have you know, 12 guys under roster next season, or I should say under contract next season, or 11 guys, and you're happy to have him. Four years from now, the guys you have under contract, assuming you re-sign Rudy Gobert to a max contract and Donovan Mitchell to a max contract, Boyan Bogdanovich will still be under contract and Joe Ingles will be under contract. Now, the other guy, the fifth guy, is going to be Royce O'Neal. Well, you've only got five guys under contract and you owe them north of $116 million. And the salary cap will probably be around $120 million, $125 million. You probably re-signed Jordan Clarkson this offseason, but your salary cap is full with six players or five players, six if you sign Jordan Clarkson this offseason. That means if you're going to be one of those six guys, you have to be one of the best six guys on the Jazz roster. And you could probably make the argument that Royce O'Neal is. I'm sure some, you know, Quinn Snyder would probably make that argument. But right now, Conley's better. Donovan Mitchell's better. Joe Ingles is better. Rudy Gobert is better. Boyan Bogdanovich is better. And I, is Jordan Clarkson better? He might be. So I'm not sure Royce O'Neal, despite the fact that he's guaranteed to be one of your six guys, is going to be one of your best six guys in a couple of years. And that, that changes the way finances look. And, and then your game needs to improve because – the Jazz probably aren't going to be able to afford a, 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 afford a $30 million, a $30 million point guard in five years. There's just there's going to be issues for the Jazz like that, which means Royce O'Neal has to out-earn his value. Now, he's done it at a million and a half dollars. Can he do it at $9 million? That's That's a question the Jazz need him to answer, and the answer needs to be yes. And then the other thing that has to happen built into all of this is they have to keep developing inexpensive players. Because if you look at this team this year, right now, Donovan Mitchell on his rookie contract, uh, Niang and O'Neal, that's at least three guys contributing quite a bit. And none Absolutely. of them are getting NBA the full NBA value right now. They're all going to get it one day if they keep this up. But not now. No, I, and I think that's probably what the Rajon Tucker signing was. And, and- Maybe even insurance for the Jazz if they didn't think Royce O'Neal was going to resign or they were going to go into the offseason. And they hoped that Rajon Tucker, because he's so good athletically, that, hey, he'd be able to play some defense and then shoot the three. Now, his defensive rating in the NBA has been awful, and he hasn't shot the three at all. So the Jazz probably lost a little bit of comfort with that, that, hey, we don't just have another Royce O'Neal waiting in the wings. So let's get this Royce deal done. Let's get it done before he even goes to free agency so we can get a little bit of a discount. And I think the Jazz did. But, yeah, they're going to absolutely need to find the next guy who makes a million and a half dollars on a three-year contract where the final two years are not guaranteed, and they're going to have to turn that guy into an NBA player. And he might be on the team. It might be Mia Yoni. It might be Jarrell Brantley. It might be uh, Justin Wright Foreman. Some of these guys that they have, Rajon Tucker, who we just mentioned, it, it might be one of those guys. But at this point in their career, they're not as good as, Ray, uh, as, uh, as Royce O'Neal was his first year. Granted, he was 23, and a lot of those guys are 21 and 22. So going forward, is it nothing but garbage minutes now for Moutier? No, I, I think when Emmanuel or, or when uh, Mike Conley gets moved back into the starting lineup, I still think you probably see Emmanuel Moutier get back into the rotation as your true backup point guard. Now, he's probably only playing 15 minutes a game, uh, which makes sense because I think you like Donovan Mitchell playing a few minutes of point guard, or you like having minutes where 
Emmanuel Moutier is not on the floor, but Jordan Clarkson is, and maybe he's playing with Royce O'Neal if Royce O'Neal gets moved back to the bench. And that will just cut a couple of Emmanuel Moutier's minutes. But Mike Conley's 32. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's actually kind of got a string of injuries over his career. You want to rest up Donovan Mitchell, who had to pick up some 35-minute stretches uh, over five and six games when the Jazz weren't playing well and they were trying to limit exposure to the bench. I think if you can get Moutier back and have him eat 15 minutes a game, and he's not going to lose you games. In fact, you've been playing great over the last 20 games this season because uh, in part of, of what Emmanuel Moutier has been able to do really since Christmas and when he's joined Jordan Clarkson. I think there's value to having him in the lineup just to preserve energy, just to limit risk injury uh, to the backcourt because the backcourt is going to be what wins the Jazz uh, you know, a, a playoff series or two or hopefully you know, three and four if you're a Jazz fan. Rudy Gobert is going to be Rudy Gobert. He's always going to have that impact on the game. You need enormous performances and dominant performances from the Jazz backcourt. Donovan, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson are going to have to win games for the Jazz. And, and having them healthy come playoff time, where Emmanuel Moutier might not be in the rotation, is key. But you've got to get him there, and Emmanuel Moutier can help carry him. Ben Anderson joining us here. Utah Jazz radio studio analyst. You hear him on the pre, half, and post game. So if the Jazz are going to do anything going forward, there's one thing you want them to uh, tinker with, to improve, to get better at. Man, it's hard to see right now. They're 17-2. and two. But what is one thing? It would be nice to see the Jazz cut down on their turnovers. It's concerning, especially when you get to a playoff game, as we've talked about, where possessions matter more. The intensity on every possession is up, and, and teams will try and find ways to abuse that. And the Jazz have some weird turnover habits that aren't just, hey, we got sloppy with the ball and we threw a bad pass. And certainly you see that. But, I mean, Boyan Bogdanovic had five turnovers. And he has a couple. He has those games relatively often where he just over-dribbles and, and makes some weird mistakes and, and dribbles high. And those are things you need to cut down on because you can't have 21 turnovers in a playoff game where another team is going to turn the ball over 10 times because the Jazz are not a team that turns you over. They just want to let you kind of come in and and miss a shot to Rudy Gobert and get the ball back. But if they're scoring points off of those turnovers, which opposing teams will and good teams will, especially good teams that are bigger than the Jazz and more athletic than the Jazz when we get to the postseason, and that's most teams in the West, turnovers could become a real issue. So that's something you would like to see the Jazz bring down to 11 a game, 10 a game, have it hover there over the last 40 games and make sure it's not going to be a major issue in the postseason. So when they do have only 10 or 11, make sure you ask Quinn Snyder about it, okay? Yeah, he, he does He does want a, a pat on the back, I guess, when, <laughs> when the Jazz don't turn the ball over. And, you know, he's not telling his team to turn the ball over. He's not telling them to dribble high or, or be loose with the ball. But, yeah, the turnover issue because the Jazz are one of the worst in the NBA certainly does seem to be a sore spot in the locker room. Ben, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, and we look forward to hearing you on the uh, Jazz Prehef and Post. All right, guys. We'll see you soon. There you go. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com, also Utah Jazz Radio Network studio analyst. You'll hear him on the pre-half and post-game shows with the Utah Jazz. They face off against the Golden State Warriors tonight at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. You can listen to that game right here on The Zone beginning at 7 o'clock with Jake Scott with the pre-game show. David Locke and Ron Boone also have the play-by-play coverage right here on your radio home for the Utah Jazz, The Zone Sports Network. Coming up next, we'll get to what is trending, catch up on all the headlines going on in sports around the globe and also here in the United States as well as the state of Utah. It's all coming up next right here on DJ and PK in the morning on the Zone Sports Network.